it's so good to see your faces, half of your faces. <laughs> Let us pray. Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire. Enlighten us with your celestial fire. For if you are with us, well, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. Be with us today. We pray in the name of your beloved. Amen. Our scripture reading for the morning comes to us from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. Hear now God's word for you today. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who, who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what it is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our peril, our sword? 
as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, the word of the Lord. Over the past six weeks, we have been going through a sermon series entitled Holy Curiosity, Conversations with the Divine. In this time, we have asked ourselves fundamental questions like, how do you talk to God? How does God talk to you? How do you approach the Almighty? Where do you experience God's presence? How do you communicate with, relate to, engage with the divine? And in our quest to answer these important questions, we have gone into the depths of the wilderness with Elijah, only to find God in the silence. We have been woken up from our sleep with Samuel, only to realize that God will call out to us as many times as it takes for us to hear. We have petitioned God with Abraham, only to be reminded that God cares about God's people. And we have broken bread with Jesus himself, only to be affirmed of the great mystery that we too are the body of Christ. Our journey has been contemplative and complicated, tender and tenuous, risky and rewarding. But there's one question we have yet to really delve into, and it's this. Why do we pray? If God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-consuming, what is the point of our prayers? Do we pray to change God's mind or so that God can change ours? Do we pray to get what we want, what we need from the one who provides all? Or do we pray because that's just what good Christians do? Well, there are a number of different answers to this important question. I actually think it's a lot simpler than we often make it in the church. Why do we pray? We pray because praying is like breathing. It's how we stay alive, and it's how we know that we are alive. There isn't one right or a wrong way to do it. In fact, we pray even when we don't realize it. Yes, prayer is about communication with God, but it's also about recognition of God, that God is the one who made us. God is the one who claims us. God is the one who saves us. We don't have to do that part. As Indian activist Mahatma Gandhi once said, prayer is not asking. It is a longing of the soul. It is a daily admission of one's weakness. It is better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. But we humans love our words, don't we? We use words to piece together and explain what we think we know about the world, about each other, about ourselves, and about God. We send our words out into the world for better and for worse, to guide and instruct, think and lift up, correct and criticize. 
Our words give us power, and how we use that power, well, that is entirely up to us. But what about when we don't have the words to say? What about those rare times in our lives when we are speechless, unable to wrap up what we are feeling in our hearts with the tidy bow of language? What then? Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about silence. Those times in our lives where we willingly hold back our voice in an effort to hear God's, or those times where we defiantly hold back our voice because we doubt that God is there at all. Now, what I'm talking about are those times in our lives where the pain is so great or the suffering is so deep that we, we can barely put together a coherent phrase, let alone a sufficient prayer. When I was pregnant with my firstborn, Amelie, I remember that I was much more concerned about the labor than actually the raising of a child. In my inexperience and ignorance, I set before myself the goal of having the least traumatic labor and delivery one could ordain, because, you know, we have so much control over these things. So I spent a lot of time reading books about breathing and pain management techniques. I got a medicine ball and a heating pad. I made a relaxing playlist on my iPod. Yes, iPods were still a thing back then. And then to top it all off, being the good Christian that I am, I printed out psalms on little note cards, I laminated them, and then I put them on a key ring for Jordan to read to me in the midst of or in between contractions. I don't know, I probably read about it somewhere and assumed that if anything was going to get me through my labor, it would be praying the psalms. Boy, was I wrong. It might have helped during the early part of my labor that included just walking around and pausing every once in a while to catch my breath, but all of that changed about eight hours in when the pain was so great that we pulled out all of the stops. The medicine ball, the heating pad, the playlist, and yes, the note cards. <laughs> Poor Jordan. He probably made it as far as the Lord is my shepherd before I lovingly ripped the note cards out of his hands and threw them on the ground. No words, not even ones as holy and as beautiful as the 23rd Psalm were going to get me through that level of pain. I didn't want to be spoken to and I did not want to speak. All I could do was breathe and scream. We all know what that's like. Those times in our lives when either the emotional or the physical or the spiritual pain is so overwhelming, so all-consuming that there are no words, even in our extensive vocabulary, to capture or make sense of what we are feeling in our hearts. All we can do is muster a groan, a cry, a scream, a sigh too deep for words. The sounds of creation the sounds of suffering, a melody that Paul was well acquainted with. Whether it was the pain he inflicted on others as a religious zealot or the pain he endured as a follower of Christ, being beaten, imprisoned, humiliated, hungry, naked, cold, and even shipwrecked, Paul wasn't sharing platitudes with his fellow Christian. He was speaking from experience. In our passage for the day, Paul talks about a suffering so real, so deep, so pervasive, that all of creation feels it. 
Creation was subjected to futility, its bondage to decay, groaning in labor pains. Talk about using your words. But then Paul goes on to say that in the midst of our suffering, God the Spirit is with us. Not as some passive spectator or even as some all-powerful creator, but as one who steps in on our behalf to pray with us and for us. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep, for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If prayer is indeed the acknowledgement of God and our need for God, the thing that orients us towards the heavens yet grounds us here on earth, well then perhaps the most authentic prayer we can offer up contains no words at all. No poetry or prose, no dear heavenly fathers or amens, nothing pretty or profound, just our groans of suffering, our sighs of sorrow, our cries against injustice. Ironically, it's those kind of prayers when all pretense is stripped away, when we don't have the energy to speak, let alone pretend that we are able to acknowledge to God and ourselves that the reason it hurts, the reason we struggle, is because we know deep inside that things are not as they should be. And what's worse, there is nothing we can do about it. We can't save the world. We can't save each other. We can't even save ourselves. All we can do is breathe and scream. But it is in that sacred moment of futility when we don't even know what to say or think or feel anymore that the Holy Spirit steps in, stands tall, and speaks up on our behalf. For ours is a God who does not simply demand or desire that we draw our gaze towards heaven. Ours is a God who allows our sighs, our cries, our groans to draw God's gaze towards earth. So why do we pray? We pray because God is listening. At the start of every new year, the New York Times releases its top read stories of the previous year. No surprise, 2021 had its fair share of clickbait. COVID case counts, vaccination rates, mask wars, the January 6th attack on our Capitol, a new president in our White House, and a former president contesting his eviction from said White House, and the list goes on and on and on. But the number one most read story in the New York Times in 2021 was not about any of those headlines. Instead, the story that caught the collective attention of our country and perhaps the entire world was written back in May by an organizational psychologist and was titled the following. There's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. The article, and most importantly, the reaction to the article, captured the profound speechlessness of this season of despair 
whether due to the pandemic or racial injustice, political vitriol, loneliness, isolation, anger, division, or more, this article touched on something that we have all been feeling in one way or another. We just didn't have the language to describe it. To be sure, this kind of wordlessness is different than the kind brought on by acute pain, like child giving birth to a child. But it is a silence caused by suffering nonetheless. I recently reread this article in light of all that has happened since it was written, from Delta to Omicron to Afghanistan to Haiti, but this time I scrolled down to the comments section. 1,350 comments from individuals across the globe, ranging from saying everything from, thank you for finally giving voice to what I have been feeling over the past year, to how dare you compare the afflictions of someone stuck on Zoom and delivery services to a single mother in the Bronx on the precipice of eviction. This tension, this human scale of suffering is not limited to the comments section of the New York Times. I have had countless conversations over the past two years where the answer to the question, how are you, is often met with the following refrain. Things are good. I am really blessed. I have nothing to complain about. But then their voice drops to a near whisper as they admit, but I'm not good. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm lonely, scared, tired, overwhelmed at the end of my rope. I can't explain why. I just don't have the words. I know the feeling. In this extended season of suffering where people are starving and dying and fighting for their very lives, so many of us have stopped trusting that our suffering is big enough for God, that our suffering matters to God. And I get it. In light of everything we see on the news, on the streets, in the world around us, we doubt what we are going through is even worth mentioning in prayer, let alone conversation. And so we suffer in silence. But even then, Paul tells us, God is listening. Even then, we do not suffer alone. Even then, our prayers are spoken. Even then, our cries are heard. Because no matter how big or small, deep or wide, seen or unseen, said or unsaid, your suffering matters to God. All of our suffering matters to God. I can think of no better example of this holy truth than in the musical genre and tradition of African-American spirituals. While so many of these songs have become a part of our own personal spiritual DNA, it is important for us to remember where these deep sighs originated from. The pain, the faith, the prayers they emanate from, songs like There is a Bomb in Gilead, Wade in the Water, This Little Light of Mine, and Deep River. And while these songs were written and sung by slaves in the midst of the horrors of slavery, many slave owners ignorantly assumed that the reason for the singing, the hope behind the singing, was joy and gratitude and even satisfaction over their present circumstances. Nothing could have been farther from the truth. 
birthed out of a deep and desperate suffering. These songs captured a pain and a sorrow unable to be put into spoken word. When the slaves couldn't talk, they sang. When they couldn't fight, they groaned. And when the world ignored their cries, they let the spirit intercede with sighs too deep for words. Their songs, their every note, their every breath, a holy reminder to us that when we do not have a map, God gives us a compass, pointing us to a hope, to a reality that is not yet, but is most certainly real. For, for if God is for us, who can be against us? So in honor of Black History Month, we will continue to be listening to and learning from these spirituals and songs inspired by them. As our worship team leads us in a powerful reflection, my hope is that these songs can give you the words to pray when you don't have them yourself. <laughs> 